0: Greetings in Jesus' name, and I too welcome you to this portion of the service here today. Um, I too kind of agree with Keith. Uh, following gathering together and having a prayer of blessing, it, it, we could have just closed and said we were at church today. It is a blessing, but I do uh, I will continue on, and I'll be sharing out of Ecclesiastes uh, seven. Before I get rolling into chapter 7, I do want to make a few comments. Uh, chapter 6 through 8 actually kind of run together. I am not going to take the time to go through each one of them. So, so I have chosen to uh, jump into chapter 7 of Ecclesiastes and, uh, and share a few things out of there, a few nuggets of truth. So if it does entice you in the book of Ecclesiastes, I would heavily encourage you, um, it's one of those books, I could probably be at it for years. I don't really feel that's what God has asked me to do right now, and so I have chosen to jump around and move right on through. But if God lays it on your heart, take a little time. Take the next 10 section, or ten verses before or after and uh, see what God has in it for you uh, as, as you study. I, uh, the whole uh, chapter 6 through 8 here, I believe that uh, Solomon is showing that having the right attitude about God can help us deal with the present day injustices. Prosperity is not always good. Adversity is not always bad. But God is always good, and if we live as he wants us to, we can be content. And I make that statement, and part of it has in chapter 6, and I'm not going to, like I said, spend a lot of time. uh, He states the, the vanity of riches... And then he even in verse three he talks about you could have a hundred children, and uh, but if his soul is not satisfied with goodness, it's better that a stillborn child. I say that a stillborn child is better than he. I thought about that a little bit, and that really I was like, wow, it's a pretty big statement. But I think the. the the whole just of everything there is, is your soul satisfied with what God has given you? And I don't mean that be satisfied, to be lazy, and not actually seek to deepen your walk with Christ, but I ask you that question. Or do we wrestle with the injustices of today in our fallen world? Verse 10 states that God knows and directs everything that happens. And I mention that, those two things in chapter 6 to get our mind thinking as we move into chapter 7. Chapter 7 is a paradox, a seemingly absurd or self-contradictory statement or position that when investigated or explained may prove to be well-founded or true. And I shared that because I think that is so true. When I first read through uh, Ecclesiastes 7, I said, wow, what's in this for us? But if you actually take the time to study it, there's just a ton of truth, and a ton of good nuggets in there. And I want to say all that to say, just as I mentioned, that Solomon, when he's, he's going through Ecclesiastes, he's saying, let's be careful what we're doing. Because when we're living under the sun, all is vanity. But God knows and directs everything that happens. I'm going to go ahead and read uh, the first 14 verses in Ecclesiastes 7. A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of one's birth. Better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For that is the end of all men, and the living will take it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by a sad countenance the heart is made better." The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools in the house of mirth. It is better to hear the rebuke of the wise than than for a man to hear the song of fools. For like the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fool. This also is vanity. Surely oppression destroys a wise man's reason, and a bribe debases the heart. The end of a thing is better than its beginning. The patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Do not hasten in your spirit to be angry. For anger rests in the bosom of fools. Do not say, why were the former days better than these? For you do not inquire wisely concerning this. Wisdom is good with an inheritance and profitable to those who see the sun. For wisdom is a defense as money is a defense. But the excellence of, of knowledge is that wisdom gives life to those who have it. Consider the work of God, for who can make straight what he had made crooked? In the day of prosperity be joyful, but in the day of adversity consider. Surely God has appointed the one as well as the other, so that man can find out nothing that will come after him. I'd like to take a few moments here to talk about them first four verses of of Ecclesiastes uh, chapter seven, and in his very first statement there's, a, "A good name is better than precious ointment." So I had to think about this just a tiny bit. So what is a good name? So what is a good name? What is, what is the value of, of having a good name, you may say? A good name, the way I believe he is talking about, it, is someone who is upright, who's just, who's honorable in all areas of his life. It says a good name is better than precious ointment. So I'm going to refer to this as it is better than something that delights the senses, than a perfume. So he's saying a good name is worth more than than just something that appeases lots of people. Or living a life that really appeases to our senses. And you say, yeah, yeah, we all know that. But I ask you this question. When your life has ended, and as I've shared before out of the book of Ecclesiastes, um, it feels like it's the, it's the elderly gentleman on the back porch just penning down thoughts. Just writing down thoughts, thinking, what is this life really about that I have just lived? So I ask you, when you go to your grave, what, what is your name going to be? And I believe when he's saying a good name, he is talking about someone who has walked with God. And someone who has lived a life of virtue. And a life of honor. And has lived a life that has not just tickled the senses, if I can say it that way you spray too much perfume on, everybody can smell you. And you might smell good for, I don't know, a few moments, a few hours. I, I do have to tell you one thing. I was in Oklahoma right out of high school. And, and of course, it was about 108 degrees down there most days. We thought it was 103, though. And, and by the end of the day, I don't care how much cologne or perfume you wore, everyone stunk. We were sweating in them houses like everything we were trying to put electrical in. This older gentleman looked at me one day, and, and we had the youth group uh, the youth group groups down there. It was a wonderful time with kids. But anyway, he goes, he finally looked at me, and the, the kids all went home for the day, and he goes, "I don't know what's wrong with me," but he said, "I stink awful." He said, but some of them girls must use a whole bottle because they smell pretty decent at the end of the day. And, and he said, I don't know how much his youth groups, they, how much perfume they go through because boy, by noon I was awful. And I said, yeah, you're right. But that's just a side note. But, I, but I, are we tickling the senses of people? By having a perfume that lasts till 8.30 in the morning if you're in Oklahoma or maybe noon, maybe the afternoon, Or is your name actually something that someone can say that is a good person? And it's because you've walked with Jesus Christ. Not because you're a fake, not because you've put on something or tried, but because your heart is genuine with Jesus Christ. Think about it a few moments. I I do the next several verses there, two through four, seem absolutely backwards, which I understand that's part of being a paradox. But I believe it is the reality of life here. He says, it's better to go to the house of mourning than the house of feasting. And I, I just got a question. How many people here would rather go to a funeral than a wedding? Is there anybody here? Well, good, then I'm not crazy. Weddings seem to be a little bit more exciting or, or to have a Christmas banquet as it looks a lot more fun than if we had a funeral on Wednesday evening. But he's stating this, and I thought, well, Solomon, did you, did you slip a cog in your old age or what happened here? But um, I think there's so much truth, and I'm going to lump these all together because your sorrow is better than laughter. But I had to think about it in this sense, and I'm not here stating that we should all be rejoicing when people die so we can have a time of mourning. But I do believe there is a sense of a reality of life with that mourning process. With the reality of not just feasting day after day, with not just having a time of laughter and a party in every single day of our life, and making life a total uh, light, casual activity. I believe what he's trying to say, he says, you know what, it is actually better to go through that mourning process to understand that God is a God that is in charge of everything as we just looked at in, in chapter uh, 6, verse 10 there. He, he is in control. So though the morning may be hurtful, and though it may hurt, and though, though the sorrow in our heart may be a time of pain, but do we really believe verse 10 where, where it talks about God is in control? And if we do, then we have to trust God to know that that time of sorrow and that time of mourning is actually can help us grow. And it can be a time to look back at life and say, you know what? Whether it's a funeral or whatever it is, say, you know what? That wasn't a whole lot of fun. I didn't really have a lot of laughter. I didn't just have a party. But you know what? At the end of this, I have, I have walked a tiny bit closer to my God. I feel like I was in God's presence because I know during that time of mourning, and, and if you ever, ever uh, I don't know how many of you lost, I'm sure you lost someone that's fairly close to you, but you lose someone really, really close to you. It's not easy, and I'm not belittling mourning. Please understand me in sorrow. But I do believe at them moments, if we are going to walk through that, we have to fall on our knees before an almighty God and say, God, help me. Um, we're at one of, one of the hardest funerals I've ever been at. Um, My wife's first cousin lost an eight-year-old son here this summer, Bryce. And I I would pray repeatedly that God would carry them. So I don't think as a father I could hardly handle that one. But God is almighty. I know he's taking care of that family. He's going to walk with them through that journey. So can we honestly say, once we've went, and we talked, Sean brought it up in Sunday school today, it was very, very good, about how going to the house of God and, and personally worshiping our Lord and Savior. So I ask you this question. During them times of sorrow, during them times of mourning, have you went to the house of God? And I believe if we can go to God's presence, And God can can talk to us. and God can work in our lives. We can honestly say when we're done, you know what? That time of life was not fun. That was not maybe one of my best times of life. But in the grand scheme of things, I know that God is a God that cares and loves. And today, I know that even more than if I had just had a party for three weeks in a row. So I ask you that question. Maybe 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 he didn't have his... uh, Slipped a cog here when he talks about a house of mourning than a house of feasting. Is it wrong to have a party? No. Is it wrong to have a time of feasting? No, I don't think so. But I do believe when we trust in an almighty God, and a sovereign God, and we do not question God, but we we say, God, I don't understand how this all works, but I know you still care. I know you still care, even if my eight or seven-year-old son is no longer with us today, and it doesn't make any sense in a humanistic realm. I believe that's part of life and the reality of life. I believe that some of them things make us intentionally look at life. Should we have to have this? No. Should this have to be for us to recognize the severity of life? To ask, make us ask this question, what have we done for somebody else? What have we done to help somebody? What have I done to help somebody else if my life ends tomorrow afternoon? It shouldn't maybe take some of this stuff, but sometimes it does. So I encourage us, as we look at life, to take it in that reality of it. Point number two here in verses five through seven. And it's a little bit down the same line. And he said, it is better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools. Surely oppression destroys a wise man's reason, but a bribe debases the heart. And I ask you here today that I might be the only one, but it is not always very easy for me to to accept verse 5. It is better to hear the rebuke Of the wise. Somebody giving you some constructive criticism, if I can put it in today's words. That is not always very easy for me to accept or understand. I don't know if anybody else struggles with that. But I believe it's our human tendency. We would, in a sense, we would kind of like to hear the song of the fools. We like to have somebody come up, put their arm around us and say, Oh yeah, poor, poor, pitiful you. I'm so sorry I'm here for you. We need somebody to care for us, don't get me wrong. But sometimes it feels really good to have people on our side, right? Sometimes it just feels good if somebody really, really feels sorry for me for whatever I'm doing or going through. But in the end, if everybody just sat here and circled you and said, oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. Well, I will be praying for you. And, uh, you know, I'm really sorry about that. I'm going to give you no constructive criticism. I'm not going to be any help in the process except for I'm going to care, which is needed. Don't get me wrong. I think it becomes a song of fools. I really do. I think it becomes a song of fools in the fact that nobody is actually sitting here and saying, you know what, I do care for you. And I am sorry it's this way. But you know what, now we have to take the bull by the horns and we have to get something done. And I believe that is what he means by the rebuke of the the wise. He is saying, you know what, even though that hurts, even though we don't always like that comment when somebody, somebody tells us something of constructive criticism and says, you know what, that is true, but what can you do about it? What is your attitude? You may not agree with that. You may not enjoy that. You may not like that. Maybe you've been wronged. But can we open our heart for someone who says, what's your attitude towards that? What's your attitude? What can you do to change that? What can you do to put, knowing that you trust in Christ, to put that foot best foot forward? Say, you know what? My attitude can change. And I'll be the very first one here as I stated to begin with. It's not always very easy. I want to defend myself. I don't know about you guys. Maybe I'm the only one that's a little strange here today, but I like to defend myself. Well, if you only knew what I'm going through, if you only knew what I actually did try to do, you wouldn't be blowing me up again, right? But honestly... We need those friends that come along beside us and give us honest, constructive criticism. Most people don't really like to listen. They'd like to have somebody agree with them and feel good about them. But I do believe that sometimes uh, we like a little bribe and down there debases the heart. We want somebody to entice us a little bit more than to just be honest with us. Honesty is not really well accepted today anymore, unfortunately, in a lot of circles. But I do believe that God has a a plan for us. And I do believe that we have to be willing to allow those around us to speak life into our life. I'm going to jump ahead to verses 13 and 14, and I know I've jumped some verses there, and I encourage you to go take a peek at them sometime, because there's full of wisdom in all these these things. I'd like to talk just a few moments about verses 13 and 14. Consider the work of God, for who can make straight what he has made crooked? In the day of prosperity, be joyful, but in the day of adversity, consider, surely God has appointed the one as well as the other, so that man can find out nothing that will come after him. And I share those two verses because I believe that God has appointed, when he says here, the one, and I'm sorry, in verse 14 there, about the third line, surely God has appointed the one as the other. The day of prosperity, the day of adversity. And why I bring this up is because I believe that 13 states, consider the work of God, for who. Can make straight what he has made crooked. No matter what we really feel is our right to life, or what we feel is what we should be given in life, or what we feel is maybe just what we want to see in life, consider the work of God. Who can make straight? Which one of you can make straight what God has made crooked? What God has done in his infinite wisdom and his infinite grace and his infinite love, it may not be easy. But consider this God has appointed one as well as the other. God has given us a time of adversity, God has given us a time of prosperity in our life. Hopefully, both of them. For the betterment of us as human beings. Not for our own wealth. Not for our own comfort in this world, but for the betterment of us as people. Because God may take you through something that you would say, How? Why does a God, just God do this to me? I believe in them times we should not challenge our Maker. God calls us to ask, God calls us to be honest with Him, God calls us to cry out in prayer and supplication to Him. And I believe that is all wonderful. But I don't think we should actually challenge our God because God has taken you through something or is taking you through something right now that if we accept his will for our life, I do believe we'll be able to help somebody else walk through that later. It's not easy to say. That's not easy. That's not what we want to hear. We don't feel all good and cozy inside when when somebody tells us the adversity we are going through, how we handle that, and how we deal with that, may be for the benefit of someone else later in life. And yet I profoundly believe that to be true. As I shared about Bryce this summer, I do care deeply for Justin and Michelle and the loss of their son, but to be really honest with you, I really can't even hardly relate with them because I have never walked that path. Does that make me a less of a person or a better person? No. I can pray for them. I can help them. But someday they will be able to relate with somebody else who really needs that arm at a time of deep Need. Are we willing to say what God has made straight, we cannot change and make crooked? Are we in a position to change what God has done? Or are we in a position here in life to say, you know what, God? The next verse in 15 there's a just man who perishes in his righteousness. And there's a wicked man who prolongs life in his wickedness. And I'm not going to get into the rest of the chapter because the clock is moving faster than I am. But that very thought, just man die in his righteousness, and a wicked man prolong life in his wickedness? Is that fair? But are you in a position to ask God that question? or as believers that we serve an almighty God, that we serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that we can trust him enough to say he'll carry me through whatever it may be. And no matter what we're going through in life, are we willing to give him the chance to work in our life? May God bless you.